0: What in the hell is going
1: on? What the hell is going on? <laughs> what the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? <laughs>
2: And
0: I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome
2: to our podcast. What the hell is going on?
0: Mark, what the hell is going on? Well, what the hell is going on, Danny, is we are doing something that we've wanted to do since the first day we did this podcast, which is doing this in front of a, a live studio audience, as they say in the TV and radio world. We're here at the American Enterprise Institute with our Enterprise Club guests, and we're so happy that you're all here. The second thing that's going on is we just had what might have been the most exciting and consequential off year election. All of the elections are the most exciting and important ever, but this was the most exciting and uh, consequential off year election we've had in my memory, don't you think?
2: Well, I was certainly excited about it. I mean, Mark and I both live in Virginia. We live in Virginia, so. Uh, First know. time
0: my vote counted in 12 years. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Indeed, imagine how people in the District of Columbia feel. But no, it was a great election, obviously, for Republicans. It was a consequential election. I think there were a lot of lessons for many to learn, not just for Republicans, but the Democrats. I will confess to you, I have one favorite, absolute favorite person who didn't live in Virginia who won this election, and this is this guy, Edward Durr. Have you heard of him? Yeah. $153 he spent, and he defeated the president of the New Jersey Senate. He was asked, what is he going to do now that he's won? And he said, I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's better than the uh, New Jersey Senate president's plans were. So I moved to Washington in 1990. Virginia was a red state, then became a purple state. And now it's been a blue state. And Joe Biden won by 10 points. Youngkin won his election by two points, so that's a 12-point shift in the Virginia electorate from the presidential to the governor's race in a single year. As Amy points out in one of her columns, the last time we saw more than a four-point swing was in 2009, and guess what happened in 2010? So this is a big thing. New Jersey, which Joe Biden won by 16 points, they came within a hair of pulling off an upset there. What do you think is going on?
2: I mean, I think a lot is going on. You had a great column in The Post, I think, today, right? Yeah. You had a great column in The Post talking about when things started to go south for Joe Biden, and I think that there's a pretty persuasive case to be made that the Afghanistan debacle was when it all began. Which is what we
0: all call it now, isn't it great? No one says, like, the Afghan withdrawal, it's the Afghanistan debacle.
2: Because it was a debacle, and I think it was such an obvious debacle. Look, Joe Biden ran on the notion that we didn't want the drama anymore of the Trump years. That we didn't want to have somebody who was, gonna, who was running by Twitter. We wanted somebody who was no drama and competent. And unfortunately, the Afghanistan decision was very dramatic, losing troops, terrorist attack, betraying our allies, sneaking out in the dark of night but it was also managed so staggeringly incompetently. It's still being managed incompetently. And I think when something like that happens, It cements a picture in people's minds that's very, very hard to get rid of. You start to see other things through the prism of that decision. And you wrote, his polls have gone south ever since.
0: No, 100%. Look, I mean, you and I are foreign policy nerds, and so we love when foreign policy affects an election, because it's such a rare event. The last time I can think of was in 2004, and 2004 with John Kerry. Virginia voters weren't voting about Afghanistan. I mean, if you look at the list of the issues, number one was the economy, number two was education, taxes, pandemic. Foreign policy wasn't on the list, which you'd expect in a governor's race. But the slide in Biden's approval started in August with the fall of Kabul. And the exit polls show 28 percent. So between one in four and one in three voters in Virginia voted to express opposition to Joe Biden. The intensity of their disapproval. 56% said they disapproved of Biden's performance in office. 46% strongly disapproved. That fall in approval started with the fall of Kabul. On August 14th, the day before Kabul fell, he had a solid 50% approval rating. A few days before that, uh, Hill Harris X poll, 55% approval, and he had approval on every issue, including competence of running the government. And then, just two weeks before the election, Quinnipiac poll: majority of Americans think he's incompetent, and he was underwater on every single issue. So, right, either way, it's the
2: word totally unrelated. Exactly. But, but there's another factor here as well, which is the. Did you call it? Angry moms? School board moms. Angry school board moms. And I think that was a huge factor, at least for us in Virginia. But I suspect all around the country this is gonna be a big issue. We talked about this before. I like the way you explained it. Not everybody has kids. I can assure you, when my kids come home from school, how was your day? It was fine. What'd you learn in class? I don't know, nothing. Do you have any homework? Uh, That's all you got. But during COVID, we all saw our kids in school, we saw what they were learning. We were exposed to them in a completely different way. And all of the arguments that have been boiling, whether it was about the teaching of critical race theory or it was about the aftermath of the George Floyd killing last year, all of those things have been really, really roiling. And Terry McAuliffe, who was our former governor in Virginia and who just lost to Glenn Youngkin, just stuck his foot in his mouth on that issue.
0: No doubt. I mean, as you said, parents don't normally see what their kids are learning. They were co-teachers in the classroom watching these lessons. They didn't like what they saw. Right now, a lot of Democrats are trying to turn this into, this is something that was cooked up by the Republicans. They're using CRT as a wedge issue. No, this was a grassroots movement that came up parents who were stuck at home, couldn't go to work because their kids couldn't go to school. So they first started going to school boards and demanding that their kids get back into school, which the teachers unions were resisting. And then, oh, by the way, We don't like what our kids are being taught, what we saw in the classroom being taught. And we also don't like the fact that you're getting rid of AP classes, and merit-based admissions, and gifted and talented programs in the name of diversity. And we're going to be heard.
2: Remember, and that, what they a- hear from- remember when they did that at TJ? Thomas Jefferson High School is the number one high school in the country, or at least it will be. It was last year. And there was a huge pressure to change admissions there, because it is almost 70% Asian, I think, mm-hmm. because it's completely merit-based. People moved to Fairfax County to get their kids into T.J., and T.J. was under pressure because they weren't admitting enough minorities, and or at least what, you know, what, what they viewed as minorities, and so they started to change it. There was this Asian mom who was out there protesting. I don't think she was a Democrat or a Republican. She was just irate at opportunities being denied to kids who worked hard.
0: And, you know, the other thing is, Terry McAuliffe, in the closing of the campaign, whenever <laughs> this issue came up, he'd say the phrase, racist dog whistle. Racist dog whistle. Literally every interview was racist dog whistle. And people don't like being called racist. First of all, people don't (laughs) like being called racist. But also, you know what? The wealthy white parents in Loudoun County, if they really don't like their kid's education, they are in charge of their kid's education, because they can take their kids out of the school and put them in a private school or parochial school. You know who can't do that? poor and minority parents who can't afford it because there's no school choice. They're the ones who are not in charge of their kids' education. So This is really the whole, this whole movement is a movement not just about critical race theory and all that. The solution to it is to empower every parent so that they have a choice in their kids' education and then they're really in charge because if they can pull their kids out and go to another school, then the school boards have to listen to them.
2: But the school boards don't think they have to listen to them. I really, really enjoyed that aspect and I'm really going to be watching for the next year to see how the democrats and the country's leadership adapt and the teachers unions adapt to or this don't demand adapt. or don't adapt because I think it's fatal because you are not a republican or a democrat when you are a parent
0: well here's the thing we've just given you our theory of what's happened in this election but we no, actually no, have somebody
2: <laughs> we, we actually have somebody who knows about. what they're
0: talking about <laughs> <laughs> so so why don't we introduce a common our future.
2: guest why don't why don't we so amy walters all i need to say is she is one of Washington's most powerful women in 2021. And she said, I can just stop right there. But, <laughs> she's, but I, I know she's a familiar face to all of you, not just Jason's parents. She is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. She's a commentator on PBS. She is a guest often with me on Meet the Press. And she is truly a great catch for us today.
0: Here's our guest, Amy Walter. Hi, guys.
1: everywhere I go. Wouldn't be great? Just to, it's like Hail to the Chief, but this is much better. It's is much better, better isn't this is much better. it? much better. Hail Plus being serenaded
0: chief. by Joe Biden and, and, the, uh, and Donald go. Trump. Right, there like, you go.
1: This is cool. So
0: Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank We're you for so having happy me. To have Hi, here.
1: everybody. So glad to be here.
0: So here's the opening question. What the hell happened on what Tuesday? The hell,
1: what the hell happened? <laughs> so, right, isn't this a Mark Twain sort of ripoff, but the uh, line of history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And that this feels very familiar because we have been through elections like this before in fact for the last i would argue 10 12 years every election has sort of felt like this where you get one party gets in power especially if that party has control of all the levers right house and senate And a year in, the other side, the opposite party, is fired up because they already hated losing. And then they hate the fact that the side that's in power is doing all the things that they were worried they were going to do, right? We told you. So they're fired up. The side that won is either complacent or sort of dispirited, right? But I thought you were going to do more. I voted for you because you were going to do all these things, and you haven't followed through on them. And then the middle is saying, God, I don't know. This feels like things are off. These guys overreached. And you look at Virginia, well, first of all, you guys were talking about the national numbers. Look at Biden's national numbers. You're right, he's underwater. He's at 44% or so job approval rating. It's not as low as where Donald Trump was at this point in his presidency, but he is the lowest of any other modern president at this point in his presidency. So that happened very quickly. Independence, right, those people who I don't like to call them moderates because they're not necessarily moderate, but they're people who just are not obsessed with their partisan ideology or is identified in partisan way. They disapprove of Biden now by double digits. And Democrats are sort of like, meh, right? They don't want to see a Republican in office, but they aren't fired up about Joe Biden. You put all those together, even in a blue state, and it's, it's a disaster. And The fact that it also snuck up in New Jersey, was another big warning, flashing warning sign for the Democrats, because it just shows, as I said, you got a disappointed base, a fired up opposition party, and independents who are breaking against you. I mean, that is a recipe we've seen over and over again. We saw it in 2006, we saw it in 2010, we saw it in 2014, we saw it in 2018, voila, here we are.
2: So I have about a thousand questions I yes. want to ask you, but I will start with one. So Democrats like to invoke Donald Trump because yes. Donald Trump is the great unifier. He's a great
1: unifier. Yeah. He yes. is the
2: great unifier of the Democratic Party yes. and the Democratic voter. And one thing that we heard from both Trump and the Democrats was the Republicans need Trump. The Republicans can't win without Trump. Trump's going to be a big part of it. but. That's not what we saw in this right. election. So, turns sorry. out the
0: Democrats can't
1: win without exactly. Trump. Exactly. No, no, no. That's what I mean about the great unifier. Yeah. He has been the get-out-the-vote driver for Democrats since 2016. There is a reason that numbers in Virginia spiked in turnout and Democratic vote share in 17 in 18, in 19, and in 20, and Donald Trump was the reason for that.
2: Jonah Goldberg, our colleague here at AEI, had a great piece in which he was was sort of talking down conspiracy theories, and he said, but if you want a conspiracy theory, maybe Donald Trump was put here to help the Democratic Party, because that's what he seems to want to do
1: at every at every turn. He did a great job of that, and he was out of the picture, but Yunkin outperformed him. So it stinks to be in the minority and out of power, but sometimes it's really good because there's nothing that inspires your party to unify like being out of power. And you will accept people and maybe even certain policies that you might not have been so crazy about when you were in the majority and you had power. So look, what Yunkin did very well was that he coalesced the Trump base. And when you look at the numbers in Virginia, the turnout in small-town rural Virginia was at like presidential levels. These are Trump voters. These are not Northern Virginia, we live inside the Beltway kind of voters. These are very, very tied to Trump kind of voters. And he was able to prevent the kind of intensity in the suburbs by keeping Trump out and by not Acting or looking or sounding like Donald Trump in any way. So the more that Terry McAuliffe called him Trump and Trump in khakis and Trump in a vest and Trump, Trumpkin, <laughs> right? The more you were watching him, you're just kind of like, that guy does not seem like Donald Trump, yeah. right? He seems like, seem he's like not, Mitt Romney. He does seem like Mitt Romney, right? So you couldn't make that particularly scary. But the thing that you noticed, and this happened to Democrats' benefit in 2018. When you look at the numbers in 2018, the turnout in some of these districts was at close to presidential level. Like, 2018 was through the roof. You look at the turnout in this election, it was higher than 2017, but that is in large part because it's Republicans who turned out. Glenn Youngkin got 84% of Donald Trump's 2020 showing. That's amazing in an off-off year election of the like one point whatever million votes that Trump got, he got 84% of those. McAuliffe got about 64% of the people who turned out for Biden. And when you look at New Jersey, it's even lower. The incumbent governor there got less than half.
0: Do we know what happened with the early vote? Because one of the flaws of the Trump campaign in 2020, if I may say so, is basically discouraged early voting, Right. said it doesn't count, your vote's not going to count and all the rest. And guess what,
1: Glenn Youngkin said, as many Republicans I talked to in 2020 were saying, that's ridiculous, our voters like to vote early, it's great to get those votes in the mail, it certainly helps with targeting, right? Mm -hmm. I know you've already voted, you've already voted, I don't need to spend any more money on you, I'm going to go spend money on people who haven't turned out yet. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. I voted early. You? I did too. Yunkin yeah. invested heavily in it, and it showed. So that by the time the election day came, they had enough banked that they could feel pretty confident about what they needed to come out on election day.
0: So the lesson for 2022 and 2024 is Republicans <laughs> should embrace early voting and just turn their to, voters to, right? out, right? Like
1: it was not, remember, <laughs> I just feel like we live in this upside down, black is white, dogs and cats living together world now but like so (laughs) many cats hate each other now (laughs) i don't know i don't know but no one pre-2020 thought that how you voted the method in which you voted was a partisan thing republicans wanted to get their voters out as much as democrats did and whatever it took vote by mail vote early, bring your voters to the polls on Sunday, whatever it is, like, that is our job. Not to discourage people from voting. Yeah. It's, it's kind of basic.
0: One problem I have with the early voting is, is like the McAuliffe made that gaff late. And so if you voted a month before well, the election, right. it's like leaving before the game is over. You should really let the whole campaign play out before you vote.
1: I know. Either we decide that, look, one day, one random Tuesday is not adequate. Which I think we've all agreed. That's not a really, in this day and age, it's not fair to a whole lot of people to say on this Tuesday between these hours you have to show up or you don't get an opportunity to cast your vote. At the same time, you know, you make it a holiday or you make it something else, but like, you're right. If you vote early, you know who those people are because they're people that are not going to change their mind. If you voted early, you're not a person who's like, I don't know, am I a Democrat or a (laughs) Republican? What if something happened? Would I change my mind? No, your candidate could literally set themselves on fire and you'd be like, don't care, still voting for them. (laughs) It's better than the other side because you hate the other side.
0: I voted Uh, against McCullough before he set himself on fire.
1: There you go. (laughs) There you go. Like, were you really thinking, hmm, I don't know, maybe this McAuliffe guy. Maybe no. I'll vote for him. Yeah, I shouldn't no. send my ballot in yet.
2: All right. <laughs> no. That wasn't happening in Mark's yeah. house. Yeah, that's what so, I think. So obviously, Republicans, you know, squeals of joy, happiness yeah. all throughout the nation, <laughs> lots of look, there you are, Nancy. And I think Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema sort of, see, <laughs> see, maybe maybe this doesn't work. But what does it, what really, it really mean? For legislating you mean? Or what does for, it mean like, for legislating? What does it mean about the national electorate? What does it mean about
1: the midterms? Just right. tell me what's going to happen in the midterms. Oh That's yeah, no, really we wanna. got that all figured out. Let's <laughs> just go grab drinks and we're done. Right. <laughs> okay, you got to put the caveat. What's a year, la 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 la, okay, long way to go, anything can happen. But again, we're setting up, if you look at what the mood is right now, it's in a pretty bad place. I sit in a lot of focus groups, and a lot of them are with these Democratic voters, either They are Democrats who don't vote consistently. They come out for presidential. So Democrats, of course, are always trying to figure out, as Republicans are with their non-traditional voters, how do we get them to show up in midterms? And then some voters were the Trump-Biden voters. Voted for Trump in 2016, voted for Biden in 2020. And what you hear over and over again is this sense of disappointment. I'll just sort of sum it up. One woman who said it perfectly, she just said, "You know, I thought we'd be in a better place by now. And it's this feeling of, I wanted something normal. And normal means different things to different people. Normal, like you were saying, a normal president who doesn't tweet at midnight just acts like a normal person and a normal president. So there was that normal. There was, I want my kids to go to school. I wanna get on an airplane. I wanna get out of this house. I want COVID to go away. I also don't wanna fight anymore with people on Facebook. I don't wanna be worried that if I wear a certain brand of clothing or I get a vaccine or whatever that we're getting in a fight, that Uncle Joe can't really come over anymore, whoever it is in the family. But especially for younger voters and younger voters of color, their normal was, oh, right, we're going to elect Democrats and they're going to bring life back to the way it should be, which is we're going to address so many of the things that Donald Trump did not. And we're going to take them head on. We're going to take race head on. We're going to take policing head on. and. Every one of those groups, except for the people who all they wanted was someone not to tweet, all of those people are pretty disappointed because they're not getting any of those things. But isn't
0: that most people? The election didn't strike me as being a rejection of Trumpism. It was a rejection, rejection of, of Trump. Rejection of Trump the person. Right, the person, right? right? Congresswoman Abigail Spanberg is a Democrat from Virginia. She told the New York Times yesterday, nobody elected Biden to be FDR. They elected they him to be normal and stop the chaos. Right. And I would add, he also promised to be a uniter. Right. And to unify the country, he said, I've worked in the Senate for years, I can reach across the aisle, I can do things in a bipartisan way. And the one bipartisan thing he's done is the infrastructure bill, yeah. and he's endorsed his party holding it hostage for this neo-socialist so monstrosity. That's where I, and that, it, there's no mandate for socialism, there's, is
1: there? There's no mandate for anything, which is the reason why, as I said, this is happening sort of midterm after midterm after midterm, which is the party gets in power, believes that it has a mandate, pushes that. Independents say, that's not no, mm, mm, mm. that's not what we meant when we said we wanted a change. You guys go way over here, then we put those guys in, they go way over there, we're just asking you to come somewhere in between these two hash marks. And. What the challenge for Democrats is that on top of it, their base is disappointed. What Trump had going for him, he played to his base all the time, which meant he was never gonna lose them, but he was never gonna get past 46%, right? So the good news for Republicans was there was always a floor. The worry that I would have if I'm a Democrat right now is that the floor is now looking lower (laughs) and lower, right? Because if your base isn't turning out, and independents are mad at you, and the other side is fired up, that's when you get into the 2010 kind of situation where we're talking like massive loss of seats. Now, I'll caution that governor's races are different than federal ones, that the other thing that Glenn Youngkin was able to do that is not gonna be easy for other Republicans, he didn't have a primary. He didn't have to go through all the hoops He didn't have to do the genuflecting to Trump, have Trump come in and do rallies for another candidate. He didn't have to try to play that game. He had to in the general election, which he did very well, but he didn't have a long drawn out campaign. Just imagine if he and Amanda Chase, the woman who ran as the Trump candidate, were really facing off in a primary. He wouldn't have made it through the process. So I think that was a test case. Republicans succeeded in keeping Trump in the background and being able to transition from him. Is that gonna happen in federal races, especially when Trump wants to desperately be part of the conversation?
2: God willing. So you touched on this in your answer, but I still think it's worth exploring because, in all of the sort of postmortems, you're seeing, of course, you know, <laughs> victory is the victory, but failure is also the father of a billion bad ideas. Yes. And so, you know, there are people who are making the argument that it was only because the left was not sufficiently true to itself, true to these disappointed police race folks that right. got really whacked or shellacked, as Obama said, in this election. But this is my question, really. Last year, when I was debating, who do I vote for? One of the things that really put me off was this super lefty, socialist, wacky, you know, expanded the Supreme Court, change the Electoral College, change the House of Representatives, all of that stuff, the institution stuff that I really worry about. And everybody said to me, no, 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 Danny. You shouldn't worry about that because if that was the Democratic Party, they never would have elected Joe Biden. But that Joe Biden who won those primaries against Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, he's not governing like that Joe Biden. He's governing to my mind like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Is that Checked is by Mansion and did, Cinema? What? Checked only by Mansion and Cinema. Checked only by well, I mean he would have been checked by people in Georgia had Donald Trump not stuck his big fat nose in that, so <laughs> don't forget that. But is that gonna be an issue for them
1: as well? an issue for voters yeah. as well. Yeah, this is the choice in front of Democrats right now as they're looking at this package. There are two things that are happening, or maybe let, let me back up for a minute. I think this was the plan for Democrats, the White House, and Congress. And as the great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, okay? So the plan was this, boom, it's April, the height of his job approval ratings, right? He's at 55%, vaccines are going out, consumer confidence is going up, the economy's going back, we're gonna have a hot vac summer, everybody's gonna be super stoked when we come back in the fall, and kids are back in school, and the economy's roaring, and we're gonna use that momentum, and we're gonna pass our legislative agenda, and it's gonna be so popular because all these items are popular. Everybody loves pre-K, everybody loves child tax credit, Everybody loves you know, expanding Medicare to cover these different things. Poll them, poll them, poll them, 60%, 70%. It'll be great. And then the punch came in the form of Delta, Afghanistan, the border. It was just one after inflation. the other after the other. And then Supply this change. is the most important thing. And then inflation. So if you're making the case that the $1.9 trillion you've already spent or whatever, that you've appropriated in the bill that was passed earlier this year, and infrastructure and this Build Back Better, putting more money in the economy is gonna be helpful. It's a hard argument to make, when all of this money has already been poured in and inflation is going up yeah. and people are feeling very anxious. Consumer, and there's no toilet paper on the shelves. And there's, right. right. Or you are. The G.I.
0: Joe with the Kung Fu Grip isn't going to be there for Christmas. No. You
1: already used that in our last podcast. I know, but I like <laughs> it. I like the, the Kung Fu Grip. That so it's, shows your age. It does, yeah. doesn't it? It's, tra- it's trading places. It, it's it, Eddie Murphy. That it, is a great movie. By it the was way. a good. <laughs> um, so when you talk to voters, like, Again, even Democratic voters—they're not pining for this agenda. What they are most worried about right now is COVID and its continued challenges, and the cost of stuff. Right? Like it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's basic. Because they're people. They don't wake up. Because they the don't morning, wake up right? and think about like, oh, what policy agenda would I like <laughs> to put forward if I could do it? Right? They're just like, stuff costs more, and I still can't do X, Y, and Z because of COVID. So that is the environment in which they're trying to get this big stuff done. And so I don't know if it's as much that people are looking at that agenda and saying, oh my God, going to turn us into socialist dystopia, as much as it's like, they are not really talking about or addressing the things that are happening right now. How is building a bridge gonna help me pay for gas or bacon yeah. or my kids' toys? at Christmas. The Kung Fu grip. And the Kung Fu grip. So it just seems very disjointed. So look, if you're Democrats right now, and I think every majority has to grapple with this, you push forward, even though you know, it's like your president's unpopular, you just got shellacked in the off-year elections. Do you pull back and then you get nothing? And you go into 2022 with nothing and lose? (laughs) Do you go ahead and go forward and get something and lose, but would you lose with something or lose with nothing? Is a big that's question. a lot of the yeah, so word my,
0: lose. I have a, I have a theory on this. Yes, which <laughs> is my theory, which is mine, which is even dates me even more because that's a Monty Python skit uh, from like 1971. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. That the left doesn't care about the elections in 2022. They'd like to win, but you mean when the, they the real, squad
2: left. You the mean. squad left. Yeah. I
0: mean the progressive, the progressives that seem to be in charge of the house, yeah. right? They understand that government is a one way ratchet, like Obamacare. They passed it. They lost a lot of seats because of it. People's careers ended because of it. And a decade later, Republicans tried to repeal it. They couldn't do it. It's still there. And so if they can just get these programs started, the Republicans will come in temporarily, we'll cut taxes so they can raise them back later. We'll do a few things here and there, but we are never going to undo.
1: Or you'll try to, and then they'll make it a campaign issue and say, you hate children because you're cutting the child tax. And
0: so they're willing to lose in 2022. They're even willing to lose in 2024 to get these things done because it's just a brief interregnum, and then they pick up where they left off and moving us towards socialism.
1: I agree that. Politics now has become less about the long game and much more about the short game. It's like smash and grab. You're in the majority for a very short time. You gotta get what you can while you're here. Republicans did it with, oh, uh, uh, we don't know how long we have the majority, let's get tax cuts, go, 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 go. Try to get Obamacare, oh, uh, nope, that didn't work. But get it all you can, go. The period of real legislating is literally four months okay. of your first, ter- first term. The first year of your first term, and then that's it. We're kinda done. So if you're Democrats now, it's like this train is leaving the station and there's not another one behind it. So if you want something, if you want to leave any sort of like legacy, policy, this is the train. And it's not gonna save your seat if you vote against it. It's not gonna save your seat if it fails. Like we don't know what twenty twenty two is gonna look like, but History is not kind to the party in power, whether you do this or not. Now, if you're super unpopular and this becomes unpopular, no, it's not going to be pretty. But if you are intent, as you point out, to say, I just want to have something that I can say we did, here's your chance.
0: So let's, let's talk about the suburbs a second. So,
2: and then I want to talk about other I'll get to you. Don't
0: worry. <laughs> get Let's talk about the suburbs. So when Donald Trump was elected, it seemed like there was a major political realignment taking place. Working class voters who had been in the Democratic Party moved over to the Republican Party. And suburban voters voted for him in 2016, but soured on him pretty quickly. In 2018 and 2020, they moved over to the Democrats, they gave them the majority in the House, they put Joe Biden in. Right. Now it seems like suburban voters are in play. We used to have the soccer moms, we had the security moms in the 1990s. Now we've got school board moms, right? This movement of suburban college-educated parents and women who are complaining about their kids' education. How did the suburbs play out in this election? Do you see Republicans having a chance of winning back the suburbs? And what does that mean for Democrats, if Republicans can hold on to the working class, but also regain those suburban voters, and how permanent that might be a temporary defection, whereas the Republican working class defection is a more permanent one?
1: Right. So that was the Glenn Youngkin sort of special sauce here, which is he outperformed Trump with white non-college voters by significant you'd think Trump gets the highest that any Republican could ever, ever get, and nobody could go lower than Hillary Clinton. And apparently that is not true. There's still <laughs> like there's still movement there. And then in the suburbs, Youngkin basically hit Mitt Romney territory. So it's not that Democrats lost ground in the sense that, oh my gosh, they're going back to what Loudoun County looked like in 2004, but they're definitely going back to this is what it looked like when barack obama carried virginia but by much narrower margins than 10 points so you're right this is where we'll be looking is into these suburbs that maybe they have soured they were definitely soured on trump but they're not in love with democrats and even democrats that i talked to in 2020 would say you know I'm really glad we're winning in these places, but I feel like we're just renting these voters. And I don't know if we're gonna be able to keep them. And that's a lot of what we're gonna see, is in a post-Trump world where it's now, they get a chance to see, okay, Democrats, now you're in charge, what are you gonna give us? And they go, hmm, yeah, that's that's not really what I want. The other interesting thing- They don't thing, want critical race theory? Well, here's, here's the big difference is, and again, I take these exit polls with a humongous grain of salt, so I want to wait until like, somebody who's gone through the voter file and done like, a deeper look at this. But it looks like what happened and what is currently happening, what Democrats have traded is, they have white college voters, they're not going anywhere. In fact, Terry McAuliffe did just as well with white college voters as Joe Biden did. Where they really dropped was with non-college. And, or where McAuliffe did. And if that's the trade-off that you're making, even in a state like Virginia, which is one of the more higher educated states in the country, that math still doesn't work because the rate of growth in college graduates is not like skyrocketing. I mean, it ticks up, but not at the rate that they need it to. And even if they win those voters 60, 40, but they're losing working class voters 30, 70, it's not an equal number of voters. and. If, indeed, you have that, plus Latino voters, again, they're still winning Latino That's voters. But instead of 70-30, it's 60-40.
0: And African-Americans are ticking up for Republicans. So maybe,
1: right. Even if it's not 90-10, let's say it's 85 89, You know, even just one or two points. Can make a difference. Is a huge difference.
0: Well, Youngkin won 14% of the black vote, didn't he?
1: Right, in the yeah. exits, we love to think about politics as like you win 50%, but so much of it is just not losing by as much, right? Mm-hmm. So don't lose 70-30. Losing 60-40 plus getting this coalition and this voter and that voter, that gets you to the number. And that's what Biden did very well in 2020. We talk about the suburbs a lot, but he didn't lose as badly in places, or he, you know, he narrowed the margin in places like and Lackawanna County, and Wilkesbury, right? Just narrow that, get your floor up a little bit. Yes, turn out your base, but that's where it's a very delicate balancing to have.
2: Exactly what I wanted to ask you yeah. about, so thank you for the segue. So Mark and I went to Carlin Bowman, who's our in-house mm. Expert, you know, I'm sure you know yep. her well, because we were seeing two different numbers on Hispanics. I think there's no question that Hispanics have shifted, not in waves, as you said, right. but have shifted yeah. towards the GOP. And that wasn't just in Virginia, it wasn't just Trump, Correct. it was in New Jersey. Correct. I don't understand exit polling, but I gather there was one that always was around called Edison. Yes. That's what Carlin explained. And Edison said that Youngkin lost with Hispanics, but, you know, he got X number of votes. And then this new group, Nork.
1: Nork, yeah. Right. Which is- the uh, University of Chicago and... It's maybe, not, not yeah. lunatics. No, 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 they're uh, they They said good. that he actually won with Hispanics. I guess we I can't know. I don't think he won with Hispanics. But the, again, the point is, this to me was the most fascinating thing about 2020. I just did a piece on this, that the folks at Catalyst, they're a democratic data firm, and they did a deep dive on Nevada. And what they found was that even though Joe Biden... Okay, the numbers went up, right? Turnout went up in Nevada in 2020 from 2016 you look at a state like Nevada and you say, well, that's gonna be good for Democrats, right? More people voting, that means more Latinos are voting, they break overwhelmingly for Democrats, bing, bang, boom, you know, Biden's gonna crush it, he's gonna crush it. (laughs) He did six points worse among Latinos than Hillary Clinton did, and won by the same amount as Hillary Clinton did. The point is, you're turning out a whole bunch of people who are not part of the process, but the assumption you know, maybe they've never voted before, maybe they're infrequent voters, maybe they're brand new, right? They just turned 18. But the assumption, and this is where the modeling was off, again, if you've been seeing 70-30, 70-30, 70-30, well, the new voters are gonna be 70-30, but they're actually 50-50. So the question that they're asking themselves and we are wondering too is, okay, how permanent are these new voters gonna be? And do they show up in non-presidential years? And do they show up when Trump's not on the ticket or when there's not the fever pitch of focus like we had in 2020 on this election? And what was it that got them? And you know, what's really interesting, the real drop in support, Biden from Hillary Clinton was among Latinos. We talk a lot about men and Latino voters, but the drop off was with women and you started to wonder what was that connection? and. <laughs> they have theories but they don't really
0: know what why. does that say about the Democrats? so basically since donald trump came down the escalator they have been saying republicans are racist republicans are anti-hispanic racists they hate black people racial dog whistles as terry mccullough said constantly and yet in each of these elections donald trump did better among hispanics in 2020 they did the first time he did better among african americans youngkin did well among african americans and hispanics is that strategy not working to do Hispanic voters not necessarily vote and black voters not necessarily vote on race? But maybe Like
2: Jews don't vote on religion. Yeah,
0: I mean maybe the way to appeal these voters is through the policies that you're advocating is God opposed forbid. To, God forbid as opposed <laughs> as to, opposed to as opposed policies. to racial dog whistles, you know, in the opposite <laughs> direction. Are Democrats misstrategizing how to approach these voters because they keep losing ground with them?
1: They're losing ground though. Let's be clear. They're still winning overwhelmingly with all of those groups and with Asian But American as you groups. said, it's, yeah, a, it's but an it's margins. but it's said it's it's but it's
0: the margins, it's,
1: right? It, right. You're losing by less, right? Yeah. Republicans are losing by less, but it's still a pretty overwhelming advantage. You still don't want to be losing sixty forty, but better than seventy thirty, as I said. But I think where Democrats continue to struggle is being seen as a party that's good on the economy. Bill Clinton, I think, was the last president that really got credit for being good on the economy. And so if, if you're not the party that's being seen as good on the economy, it's really hard, right? That's what most people, especially infrequent voters, right? what are they voting on? They're, popular. they're usually they're right? I have a job, I don't have a job, things seem good, things seem bad. That's what they were, you know, you'd hear that over and over again about, well, I just feel like Trump knows how to do jobs, right? He's a business guy, he'll do jobs. That's what I care about. That is my number one concern right now. I don't have the luxury of worrying about other things. Democrats have to get better on that. Now, this is what I said about getting punched in the mouth. That was the opportunity for Biden. If you just looked from just a 30,000 foot view in February of 2020, it was sort of like, all right, it kind of sucks to come in during a pandemic, but you have all the building blocks in place for things to get better. You got the vaccines. can only go up. It can only go up, right? We got vaccines. We kind of know, right, things open back up. Now, you can't do much about the reality of a very complicated supply chain situation and the fact that countries all over the world are going like this with their COVID rates and shutting things down and all of that. So that's one piece of it. But this was kind of like a, here's your opportunity, Democrats, to be like, we're not just the party of competency in getting people vaccines, but, we're the party that brought the economy back. And that was the time to do it. And now his approval ratings on the economy are way underwater.
0: The great thing we have about doing a live podcast is we've got an audience here. Yay. And so instead of taking questions just from us, we're going to turn to the audience and see what you want to know.
2: Wait for the mic, please. Yeah. Raise your hand.
1: Uh, Virginia is a one-term governor state. Glenn's going to be looking for a new job in a few years. I know a great but, thing, Tank. Yeah, yeah, But <laughs> keeping, keeping Donald Trump out of Virginia is one thing keeping him at arm's length as part of a national nomination conversation is very different. So imagine Glenn would want a long-term career in the Republican Party. What advice would you have for him on how to plan his time over the next few years? He's going to get a lot of advice in both ways. He has a benefit now. It looks as if he also has a Republican majority in the House. So he's not just there as a one-termer with an opposite-party legislature. I think people underestimate how important competence is (laughs) to just getting stuff done and being seen as somebody who is very good at being an executive who can deliver things to people. And he doesn't need to be a culture warrior of any sort. He doesn't need to be the guy who's out there picking fights with national figures or with members of the opposite party. And- Hint, hint, DeSantis. What, right. But again, beyond the 2024 game, it's a longer game than that.
0: What about 2024? Should he run? I mean, Chris Christie should have run in 2012. Russ Dowtat just said he should run for president. Obama was in the Senate for two years before he ran for president.
1: I know it. We fall in love so quickly in this country. And then then we go, oh, he's actually terrible. We We can't have a guy like that. We don't know what kind of candidate would work because we don't know what kind of environment we're gonna be in in 2024. Whether it's a foreign policy crisis, a recession, something like that, it's looking for a different kind of candidate in every one of those things. To me, my sense has been that the weaker Biden looks, the more Trump is ready to pounce, right? He needs to have him softened up enough That way I can, I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna win. But he's not gonna make his decision until the very, very last minute. I'm Glenn Youngkin, I would just be much more focused on like, let's do a good job as governor. The one narrative piece that he has
2: is, yes, he's the governor, but his lieutenant governor is a black woman, immigrant, marine. She looks well-spoken, just looks great first black person to win statewide office, black woman to win statewide office in Virginia, then his attorney general is the first Hispanic to win statewide office. You know, if the Republican Party can look like that. RACIST DOG
0: WHISTLE. Sorry.
2: (laughs) I apologize. Uh, But if the
1: Republican Party can look like that, then that's a great thing. Every candidate in 2020 who won a House seat, especially those who picked off Democrats, was a woman or person of color on the Republican side.
0: Questions? Heard this morning that McCarthy is targeting 60 seats
1: for the midterms in the House. Is that over under on that? Is that about right? I mean, why not? Now, look, things can get better for Biden by now. But if you're losing a plus 10 seat, there are a lot of seats that Democrats hold right now that Biden carried by 10 points or less. Why not go to all those? In 2018, Democrats were really very strategic and I thought very smart and successful. They went and targeted every seat that Trump took less than 55%. And they won almost all of them. Now, again, part of the challenge that Democrats had was that the bottom really didn't fall out. So they only won in those 55 or less. In fact, I think it was even 53 or less. Everything over that stayed Republican. But if you look at other wave elections, 1994, 2010, a whole bunch of folks got wiped out in districts that went overwhelmingly for Clinton or Obama because you had those three factors, low Democratic intensity, high Republican intensity, independence, going by double digits, and that's when the floor goes. So if I'm McCarthy, you strike while the iron is hot, you got donors that are gonna be excited, you recruit, 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 you guys, look, look at this environment, you might not get this again, here's your chance to be in the majority. And the other thing we're gonna be watching is retirements. How many Democrats wanna sit around in the minority or wanna go through, like, ugh, I just had to go through this in 2020 and now I gotta do another one and I have a redistricted seat that's tougher? It's not worth it.
0: Questions? So going back to uh, the Virginia elections and me looking at 2022, You know, uh, Amy, you made a good point of, you know, the majorities like to come in there and we're only gonna have it for so while, so we're just gonna grab everything we can. If you're a Republican, what is the mandate that you have to govern to make sure you don't overreach?
1: You mean if they get it back? Yeah. Well, part of the problem is they won't have all of it back, right? So again, it's still sort of fun because you're in the majority, but you can't really do anything except to be the anti-Biden check. So you can still run on, we're united about getting a new president But coming in again, you know, it's like, can I just speak on my soapbox for a minute? Part of the challenge that we have in this time and why you're seeing so much volatility, we've had now, this is a record, we have never had in history four consecutive presidents who lost their majorities at some point during the presidencies. Pretty likely we'll get a fifth in a row. Never seen anything like that. Part of it too is that we have, Americans are so much more polarized and identified with their party, but they're identified not because they love their side, but because they hate the other side, right? What is it? Negative partisanship. That's what's driving so much of this. And it also means we live in a country right now. There literally is a red America and a blue America. Red America can literally be 20 miles from you if you live in blue America, or it can be 200. We live in proximity together, but we don't live in the same place. And so the priorities of red America, if you look at any poll now, What are the top five priorities of Republicans? What are the top five priorities for Democrats? They aren't even in the same zip code. So when one party comes in, they say, well, these are the priorities, of course, because that's all I heard on the campaign trail. We need to do something about climate change. We need to build a wall on the border. We need to stop kids in cages, right? That's all I heard. We need to do that. Well, yeah, that's all you heard because you talk to the people in the one thing. So they come in and that's what they do. And then the other side says, oh my God, look what they're doing, they're destroying America. We knew it, we told you they were gonna do this. And then independents say, no, 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 can you just like not, can you just not? Just like, just like a <laughs> just little not. bit more, just, just like a, a bumper little sticker. bit less, just <laughs> not, just like a, maybe just try to come to something that makes some sense, right? Like, I don't know, why can't we just do this one thing? Well, you can, right? Do we think that like doc is a good thing? All right, yeah. Let the." Kids who are here, sure. Liberals will say well, you can't just have that. We have to also add things on for the parents. And conservatives will say you can't just have that. We have to have more border security. You can't just, uh, we have to have more visas for. I'm getting tense just right. Listening just to thinking it. about it. Right, it's making me upset just thinking about it. And regular people don't understand that. They think it's crazy. Because it is. Because it is. <laughs> <laughs> but the more we are silent, so we part of the reason we're so volatile is because we're so stable in our partisanship. And so nobody gets a 60% plus landslide. No president's going to hit 60% approval rating, at least not in the near future. And so these margins are tiny that determine who's president and who's not, who's in the majority, who's not. And yet they're incredibly consequential because it means that the worldview of red America or the worldview of blue America gets its chance. So... If you want to have a longer term majority, yes, paying attention to what independent voters want would be like a good thing, but that's boring and nobody wants to do it.
2: Plus, you know, you're not gonna be satisfying your base when right. you
1: suck up to independence because right. it's too much. Let's take one last quick question. Um, my question is about the use of social media by the candidates. So when Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin have their Twitter banter and jabs, does that actually make the news impact the polls or impact voters' opinions? I'm now going to help myself. This is hilarious. I'm sure your children do this too. So, my son watches a lot of YouTube. Those ads were on YouTube nonstop. Nonstop. So, he could literally recite all the ads. The first thing, so he said, so basically, let me tell you my version of this race. He's like, so it's basically a guy who really loves Donald Trump versus a guy who doesn't like parents. That was his version of the race. I was like, I mean, you know, you pretty much summed it up. There we go. So you say, well, is that really working if it's like my 14-year-old who knows this race? I don't think it's the banter. I think part of the challenge in covering a place like where you live is we are in the absolute wrong place to do that. Many people don't have the ability to sort of step outside themselves and their neighborhood I do think, though, that the digital media is very important in part because it's what you aren't seeing that's important, right? They know who you are. They're going to find ways to get their messages to you that look very different from the messages that they're sending to you or that they're sending down in Tidewater or they're sending in southwestern Virginia. So. This is what's really hard for political reporters because we watch all these same ads. I see the ads that are on TV that all of us see, but I don't know what is coming into your mailbox and I don't know what's coming into your inbox or your Instagram feed or whatever else. So I think this is where Yunkin was, again, was very smart because his overall approach was fleece vest, get it done, all the school ads, they all mentioned, almost all of them, gonna raise teacher pay. This was like, oh, okay. What messages were going on to other voters could be a version of that, but a little bit different. So the Twitter piece I don't think is as important as the digital piece. Most campaigns now will tell you they spend about 30% of their overall budget now on digital. And this was a 60 million, $70 million campaign. These Senate races are 50, 100, I mean, we're having $100 million Senate races.
0: Wow. What
2: a waste of money.
0: Exit question. So to win in 2022 and 2024, Republicans need a basement strategy. The way Joe Biden won is he hid in his basement. Joe Biden hid in his basement and let Donald Trump make the election about himself Mm -hmm. and a referendum on Donald Trump. To win in 2022 and 2024, (laughs) Don't Republicans need this to be a referendum sure. on Joe Biden? It's, know, it
1: always is. I know every year the in-party tells me they're going to make the party about the other side. I'm like, you do that. It's going to be about everyone hates Nancy Pelosi. We're going to make 2018 about Bernie Sanders and Nancy Pelosi. OK, <laughs> great. There's this guy in the White House named Donald Trump. That's who everybody's talking about. But good luck. Didn't work. 2022, we're going to make this race about Donald Trump. He's a terror. OK, great. But he's not in the White House. There's this other guy there. So, what
0: uh, if Donald Trump runs?
1: Well, Donald Trump's not going to announce before 2024.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in 2024. Oh, when it's
1: 2024, he runs, he, runs, he
0: runs. Can he run a basement strategy? <laughs> can he, can <laughs> he allow the? That's the, hilarious. The, the, can he let 2024 That's be hilarious. about Joe Biden rather if than himself? He's buried
2: in a basement. Then he can run a basement strategy. <laughs>
1: now listen, the easier thing, I mean, the easier is that the fatal flaw flaw right.
0: of Trump running again.
1: Right, is he can't. One of many. Be disciplined. Although, let's just say, credit where credit's due, he was very disciplined about Virginia. I mean, remember how much he inserted himself in every other place? Like California? But he didn't need to as much in California because the candidate there did it for did him. it for himself. As I said, that to me, so you will get the answer to your question about the basement strategy. In 2022, as we watch him stay in, get in to the Senate races, handpick his candidates, or trash the better candidate, you know, the more electable candidate, or tell people not to vote. I
2: can't wait.
0: Can we book you right now to come back here in 2022 and tell us what you thought?
1: Okay, sure. Excellent. All right, everybody, we'll meet here a year from today. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you all so much.
0: We're back in the studio. Danny, that was so much fun. I'm so so glad we were able to do that.
2: Well, I'm really grateful to Amy that she was game to come. I know she's super busy this week, (laughs) in particular.
0: That's why I booked her a year in advance.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Smart for next year. Exactly. But no, great to have the audience in there as well. Look, good to talk about these things that are on people's minds. I do think, I really do believe that Glenn Youngkin had a message for people out there, which is, you know what? don't be baited, don't be excited, care about the things that people care about as opposed to the bumper sticker issues. If you've got moms and dads who care about what their kids are being taught, maybe you should listen to them and not to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
0: Well, that is the lesson of this election. Number one, I think Republicans have found a path to win back the suburbs. Well, they could Um,
2: screw it up. (laughs) I mean, you saw my
0: exit question, right? Republicans need to make this about Joe Biden about violent criminals taking over our streets, borders are out of control, China taking our jobs, Afghanistan is a disaster, leftists are taking over the schools, socialists are taking over the country. That's a message that resonates, not like setting our hair on fire and alienating voters who would otherwise vote for us, which is what I fear will happen if Donald Trump becomes the nominee. Well,
2: that's the problem. And this is all going to be about the $64,000 question, which is, is Donald Trump going to insert himself into this and save the Democratic Party.
0: I mean, one thing that Amy said, which I think is important, is that he's going to wait until the last minute, which means hopefully he will not announce before the 2022 midterms. So the midterms will be about Biden and the Democrats, because I don't think they are going to learn the lesson of this, which is that, no, you probably shouldn't weaponize the FBI against parents when they express legitimate concerns about their schools. And you shouldn't go from serial catastrophe to serial catastrophe to serial catastrophe, as he has from Afghanistan on the border and all these other things. I don't think they're going to learn the lesson. I think they're going to double down on the race message. I think they're going to double down on socialism. That's what we've heard. And all we need is one house. Right. I mean, right now our institutions are hanging by a thread of two senators, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. God, God, God bless them. God bless them both. You know, we, health, happiness. You know, watch over long them. Long life and long life. After everything they've done, they're had a, They've had a
2: lot of courage.
0: They have had a lot of courage. And also they've been vindicated by the election. And if Republicans can take back one house, then at least there'll be a check. And maybe then Biden will learn the lesson that he has to work with Republicans and he can show us what he heretofore has not, which is his master skills at reaching across the aisle and working with yes. Republicans. indeed.
2: We'll Biden and master skills are not three <laughs> words that go together. Hey, I said it, Doug and G. To to all of the guys who were in our audience, to our colleagues at AEI, and especially to Amy Walter, who was game to come and sit up on the stage with us and do this, you know, live Brady Bunch in front of an audience. And let uh, us, us know how you.
0: you liked it. If you want us to do more of these, we'll be happy. To, we'll be happy to, happy to do to, more. To, and we'll have to, and to, to, happy to come to people. your town and do it. <laughs> do an episode with you. So yeah. take care.
2: Take care, everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye.